This is episode 142 with author, mental performance coach, and a man who consults with the U.S. military and pro athletes in the NFL, Olympics, PGA, and Major League Baseball, Mr. Justin Sua. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. My name is Jason Fitzgerald, and I'm your host and the head coach of Strength Running. My goal with this podcast is to make you into a better runner, nothing more and nothing less. I'll be bringing you the power players in the fitness industry to help you reach more of your running goals. You're going to hear from elite runners, sports psychologists just like today, strength experts, coaches, best-selling authors, and physical therapists, all who want to help make your running dreams a reality. Because as I like to say, knowledge is a competitive advantage. If you're new to the show, we have 141 other episodes, a video channel on YouTube, or our home base, strengthrunning.com, where you can see all of our coaching programs, detailed guides on everything from tempo runs to core training to how you can master your mindset and become a more mentally tough runner. I'm excited to announce our newest podcast sponsor, Naked Nutrition. They make a variety of products, but what I'm really excited about are their protein powders. Over the last few weeks, I've been taking a whey protein shake, and this is hands down the best protein powder I've ever had. And back in the day, maybe 2006 through 2011, I used a lot of protein powders to help my recovery after tough workouts. And Naked Nutrition's whey protein comes from grass-fed cows, there's nothing artificial in them, and the flavored protein powders have only three ingredients. You can check them out at nkdnutrition.com, and if you happen to be vegan, they have a pea protein option as well. On to our guest today. I'm speaking with Mr. Justin Sua, who's currently the mental performance and leadership coach with the Tampa Bay Rays, a major league baseball team in Florida. Before that, he worked for the Boston Red Sox and Cleveland Browns organizations, and has clients in everything from the NFL to the Olympics, from pro golf to CrossFit. He's the author of two books, Parent Pep Talks, The 10 Must-Have Mental Skills Your Child Must Have to Succeed in Sports, School, and Life, and Mentally Tough Teens, Developing the Winning Mindset. Justin is also the host of the daily Increase Your Impact podcast, which you can find on iTunes. But not to be outworked, Justin also travels across the country consulting with a variety of corporate clients on how to build mental toughness and create a culture of excellence. That is what we are going to be discussing on the podcast today, how to create your own personal culture of excellence and reinforce the mental skills that allow you to succeed. We're going to be talking about how to define excellence for you, strategies for staying focused and avoiding distraction, how to get clear on your goals and ideas to help you learn from running rather than being reactive to it. Justin is an incredible teacher and someone who's working with athletes at the highest levels of sport in the world. I hope you enjoy this glimpse into the winning mindset strategies of these top athletes. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Justin Sua. Justin, I'm thrilled you're here. Thank you so much for making some time. I know you have quite the busy schedule, so I really appreciate it. Uh, Grateful to be here, Jason. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah. So typically, you know, in normal times, you're traveling across the country, you're helping all kinds of different organizations build mental toughness and create a culture of excellence. I've seen you write about this. And I'd like to start with that, that culture of excellence. What exactly is a culture of excellence? How do you define that? Yeah, that's a good question. (laughs) To me, it really, it depends on the group or the person who's in charge, having a very unique opportunity to work with a number of different organizations. It's, it's intriguing to me to ask 10 different CEOs what a culture of excellence, excellence looks like and what it means. And they're all going to give you different answers, possibly give you different answers. Uh, having the chance to work with soldiers in the military, uh, they have their definition versus the Boston Red Sox versus an NFL team and, and so forth. And so I think when it comes down to, it comes down to, when you think of culture, you think of just this collective, collective norms, collective behavior, collective attitude, aiming towards something, directed towards a vision, towards a goal. Uh, whether it be, I've seen some groups who who talk about the process and they harp on the process. I've told heard some groups talk about collaboration and innovation and 
I think it comes down to answering those questions as a group. What do we stand for? Where are we going? What are we going to be known for? What do we want to be the best in the world at? What do we want to be the only people uh, in the world, the, the only people in the world doing? And so I think it comes down to some self-awareness, some thinking, some creativity and asking everybody, uh, getting everyone's kind of throwing their ideas in there to see where we're going to go together. And as far as excellence, it comes down to, again, how you define excellence. Is it is it results-based? Is it process-oriented? Is it excellence in, in, like I said, innovation? Is it excellence in timeliness? And so I, that's what I love about it is the fact that it's up to you and how you want to develop it, even as families. <laughs> families stand for different things. You can tell a family's culture. What do you talk about at the dinner table? What do you guys talk about? What do you guys watch together on TV? Do you even watch TV? Is it sports? Is it uh, is it is it music? And so that's what I really love about that is that it is so open and it isn't there isn't it's not an algorithm. It's not binary. It's very uh, there are some some I don't want to say rules, but there are some certain principles that make uh, that that make a, a culture and a culture of in, uh, excellence, which we kind of I like glossed over just now. But I think that's in essence what it is. Yeah, for sure. And and I think, you know, when we're talking to our listeners right now, you know, obviously these are athletes, runners, just like me and you. And if we can separate out maybe the military and uh, corporate organizations, big companies, what are some of those big principles of excellence that really help athletes to achieve it? You know, you mentioned being process oriented or results oriented. And, you know, as a, as a coach, I, I flinch a little bit when I hear results oriented, because sometimes that leads you down a, a dark path where you do things only for the results. But, you know, how do you uh, establish those principles? And are there some general principles that are common among many different athletic organizations and even among high performance who are, who are working at an individual basis? Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point. And even to your point about talking about flinching, I don't remember the word exactly you use about the results oriented mindset. Uh, the reality in the profession, in my world, professional world, results matter. And so, as my, in terms of where jobs are lost, stakes are high. And that was very difficult for me at first, to be quite honest, because coming from the development side, college sports, and, and, and where it is more of the process which is true. And I'm going to come back to that. We were, at, the, at the elite level, you still very much are processed. But uh, when you don't get the results day in and day out, year after year, once again, at the, at the professional level, uh, changes are made. General managers, are, are, are new general managers are asked to come in, new head coaches, new players, jobs are lost. And so, uh, so results, we talk about it a lot in the professional sector where it's, yes, results absolutely matter. However, in, in, in addition to that, in order to get those results, uh, going back to the initial question of some basic culture principles, you need to be as embedded into the process as you possibly can. Because as you know, uh, results, there are a lot of uh, variables and facets of the results that you cannot control. You can't control your competition. You can't control the weather. You can't control the market. You can't control a lot of things. And so now it comes back to what we can control. So some basic principles of building a culture is it really comes down to asking those questions. A question like, what can we control? What are the variables that pertain to training, uh, that pertain to our game, our strengths, our weaknesses? What can we control? Um, another thing that comes down to culture is what is our goal? What are we after? What do we want to be even known for? Uh, do we, it is the goal, whether it be the World Series in baseball or the Super Bowl, or is the goal to, uh, to, to win our division, or is the goal to run or execute every drill we can to the best of our ability? And uh, another basic culture principle is our look on failure. I think how you view failure. And how you view the story that a culture tells about failure. I think about uh, Amy Edmondson's work on psychological safety. And she's out of Harvard. And what she talks about in psychological safety is do your people feel safe to fail? Not that failure is something that is, is applauded and you want because failure is painful at any level. You don't want to fail. But do you have the mindset that when we do fail, 
instead of pointing the finger and blaming each other, do we have the kind of culture where we will pause and ask, okay, what can we do better? Why did we fail? What can we learn from it? And I think the cultures that thrive have psychological safety. The leaders are able to ask the the, the, the subordinates or the play, coaches are able to ask the players, hey, what can I do better? What are we doing wrong? How can we improve this? Because the leaders understand that people will support what they help build. I think that is very critical to building a, a, an elite culture. And lastly, I think is, is this notion of learning. I think the best cultures that I've ever seen firsthand have this have a learning environment. They're always looking to get better, not only increase the speed of the athletes or the strength of the athletes, but can we be a learning culture? Can we learn faster than the average person? Can we understand the intricacies of the brain? And can we create an environment that makes good habits easy to do and bad habits hard to do? Um, are we, as we know, the environment is the invisible hand that shapes that shapes behavior. Can we as a leader create our environment to the point conducive to the behavior we want or the process that we're establishing. So I think great organizations uh, keep that in mind as well. Those are just a, a few things off the top of my head. I, I'm so glad that you brought up learning because I think that's such an integral part of a culture of excellence, of a culture of, you know, just elite performance. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, world-class performance for, for our listeners, but we can say like your own personal elite performances. And, you know, my, my runners are probably tired of me saying knowledge is a competitive advantage, but, you know, you really outlined that very well right there with the fact that, you know, can we learn faster than the competition? And, and I think, you know, when you're talking about elite level sports and, and different strategies and plays that you can, uh, incorporate into your game and so many other different things, you know, that learning process is really critical. You know, how fast can you onboard a new athlete into the program and the culture and get them to really understand it and then understand all the plays and all that. So learning to me is, is such a critical part of this whole process. Oh, I, you hit the nail on the head. I'm sitting here just nodding my head to what you're saying because you're absolutely right. And a lot of people don't even realize some of the facets that go into learning, even emotions. A player or an athlete who's afraid to fail or a player or an athlete or, a, or, or someone who, a business professional who is emotionally triggered or angry, that hinders learning. E negative emotions hinder learning. Fear uh, from failing or anger from, from things they can't control or what other people are doing, that or, or trying to be perceived as smart as opposed to being intellectually humble and saying, having the growth mindset and saying, you know what, I don't know, I want to improve here. All of those things uh, will either help or hurt learning depending on where you fall on that spectrum. And so I think the best organizations are keep that in, take that into consideration and try to build that culture to where all of these things make it conducive, uh, help, help people learn. And so I think yeah, I, I, I love what you said because it's so true. Yeah. And, and isn't that the hardest part though, is, is modulating your emotional response to things because, you know, I, hundred percent agree. And it's absolutely true that if you're going through life with a negative outlook and you're letting your emotions control you rather than the other way around, it's going to be really hard to be effective in whatever you're doing. But how do you change that? I mean, is that, is that one of those things that's harder to change than, um, you know, other things that maybe are not so ingrained into your, your psyche, your personality, who you are as a person? I think so. I think I, I agree with you. It's hard to change. And especially the older you get, the more difficult it becomes. But one thing we do know about the neuroscience as of late, there's a lot of things we don't know about the brain. And even in the research, people are debating on what's even the neuroscientists are debating what's real and what's not. How much can we change? How much control do we have over our brains versus what we don't is still debatable in some circles. But one thing we do know is something called neuroplasticity and how the brain is still under control and are, are under construction and the neurons that fire together wire together. And that over time with the growth mindset, uh, as you try to adopt new behaviors or new habits or a new approach to certain things, a new, 
a new approach to failure, a new approach to learning, a new approach to anxiety or meditation that you can build new neurological connections and start to shape and create and build a new you uh, mentally. And I've seen it firsthand. There's one time I remember. So it's 2013 and I'm stationed in Fort Sam Houston and I'm working essentially with the combat medics. And I hear the front door to our office fly open. And initially you can tell that the door was opened with a lot of enthusiasm. And I realized that this, it wasn't so much enthusiasm as it was anger or frustration. And I heard a gentleman tell our lady at the front desk, he goes, where does Justin work here? And I remember immediately opening up my calendar and thinking, who is, who's looking for me? And I was, I didn't have anything on my calendar. And she says, well, let me check if he's available. She comes into my office and she goes, there's a soldier here who wants to talk to you. And he does not look very happy at all. And I had the time. I said, hey, send him in. I'd love to get to know him. So he comes in and he, he, I stand up to shake his hand and he was not interested in pleasantries. He sits down. He looks around my office. And in my office at the time, I had some pictures of the brain. I had some principles on mindset and some diagrams. And he's looking around and his first words out of his mouth was, what is it? What is this trash you do? So I'm, I'm keeping the G rate. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> he goes, what is this trash you do? I don't even know who he is. And I said, I'm a mental performer. Uh, my, the title with the military was performance enhancement expert, uh, which also drew some other comments. Uh, so I don't know, Justin, I love that title. If I could have that title, I would give it to myself. That sounds like the most badass title that exists. <laughs> it was pretty neat. So I told him what do we do and uh, who, what the job title is. And essentially, I said, my job is to help soldiers uh, operationalize mental skills training, teaching them how to enhance confidence, focus, goal setting, and perform under, uh, high, under high pressure, at a high level under, under high uh, pressure. And he looks at me and he goes, he goes, that trash won't work for me. And I looked at him and I said, and I, and I turned around, I looked at him in the eyes and I said, you're absolutely right. And I turned back to my computer and I start typing and he's still sitting there. And it's one of those things where you can feel someone staring at you. And he was staring right at the side of, at the back of my head. And I was fuming. So he's going to come in here and disrespect me. And I'm just like, kind of like poking at the keyboard, knowing that just my heart's pounding. And then he just, then he whispered almost like a very softly, he goes, do you think you can help me? And that was the window I needed. So I turned around and I said, what's your story? He goes, well, I'm getting kicked out of the army because of something I did. I'm going through a divorce. I am bankrupt. My car broke down. My kids hate me. And I'm sleeping on a bedroom floor, a living room floor of some guy I don't know. So he was in a very difficult situation. And I asked him to tell me a story. And he kept telling me about promotions he didn't get, people who were jumping him in terms of the rankings, uh, how he's failed in so many aspects of his life. How he even talked about his own weight. He talked about his goals. He's not achieving them. He just story after story. And I said, what makes you think that you can't change? He goes, and he goes, I'm in my mid fifties. I've been in the military, I've been in war. He goes, I've learned so many things. He goes, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And he looks at me, he goes, I don't even think you've jumped out of a plane. You've never fired a weapon before. You've never been in my situation. So how can you possibly teach me anything? And I said, I explained to him, my job isn't to come here and shove things down your throat. It's more exploratory. We want to get to know you. I said, let me ask you some questions for you. And I said, how do you view failure? He's like, oh, I, I avoid it. I hate it. Uh, when, and I said, when you're asked to do something difficult, how do you respond? He goes, I, you obviously don't want to do the hard thing. You want the easy thing. And he talked about how he was jealous of other people and how he hates critical feedback. And then I introduced him to the growth mindset by Carol Dweck. And uh, basically, you learn from failure, embrace obstacles, always give your best effort. Number four is seek feedback. And number five is learn from the success of others. He was blown away because he thought, to, he asked me, he goes, people think like that? And we laughed together. He was like, yeah, people actually think this way. And he said, I couldn't, I've never even considered those principles before. And so I gave him a book and he kept coming back every week after week to try to view things in a more of a growth mindset. 
about a, three months later, he comes into my office unexpected. That was a common thing he did. And he, I remember him telling me vividly saying, none of this is working. I said, what do you mean? He goes, finish, finalize our divorce. I'm getting kicked out of the army. It's official. We are bankrupt. Kids still can't stand me. Car still broken down. And I am still sleeping in the living room floor with this guy, but I know him a little bit better now. So he sprinkled some positivity in there. And I said, why are you, why are you here? Well, why, why did you come to tell me this? And he, could he, and he smiled and he said, even though my situation has not changed, this growth mindset approach has helped me to see that I was the problem all along. I can see now where I am the reason why my marriage ended up struggling. I can see where I was combative with my leaders and I didn't want to get that feedback. I can see how my jealousy and my ego kept me from being the best version of myself. And so to answer your question, sorry to give you such a long story, but this is where he taught me. This 55-year-old soldier taught me that if you put in the work and pay the price and really work on it, it won't change your circumstances, but it can change the way that your circumstances affect you and how you view these circumstances. And he firsthand taught me that you can shift into the growth mindset, but it takes a tremendous amount of work. What a powerful story. And and one might argue too that, you know, it's not going to change your circumstances, but adopting more of a growth mindset will change your circumstances far down into the future, likely by how you react to different situations, different people, and, you know, how you react to the opportunities that that come your way. So I think that's a great story that illustrates how, you know, even someone who really does not think they can change can actually change. Um, and, you know, I was going to ask you, you know, a lot of people believe this. They don't think that their habits and their mindsets can really be changed. Uh, and they and they buy into that people don't change idea. And uh, I think your story really illustrates the fact that, you know, it's hard, but it's not necessarily impossible. And many other people have done it. And I think it's a worthy goal that is worthy of pursuing because it just has so many benefits to not only directly, you know, your athletic performance, you know, would tie it back to what we're talking about here, but, but also so many other aspects of your life. And, and that's one of the things that I love about sports psychology in general is that, you know, you can practice it for your, your sport, but it does have such a great carryover into the rest of your life. Yeah, I, I love what you said. And that is true. A lot of people adopt this mindset that I can't change. And I think it was Henry Ford. I, I may be mistaken, but uh, he's attributed to saying, whether you think you can or you can't, you are right. And I think if those who are listening and they're struggling to believe they can change, try it out. That's what I love about it. Pick a behavior, pick something that's difficult and and work at it. And I think where people struggle, I think when the, with the changing part is they think it is black or white. You either do it or you don't. What they don't realize it is it's it's messy. It's messy. You'll do it a couple times. You'll change and then you'll revert back and then you'll try to change. And that's what it looks like. It's a messy, sloppy, uh, up and down process. Going back to that word process we use and it's the process of change and it does take time. It does, can even take decades. And, and to your point, I think two things people underestimate is how long it's going to take and how hard it's going to be. So then they just throw change out the window. They're like, oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. It's like, no, stick with it. Keep going. Keep trying. Keep striving. And uh, the, the change comes sooner or later. But, and a lot of times it is later. You just got just to gotta stick with it. But it's probably worth it, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, Justin, in, in my coaching experience and my personal experience too, uh, I, want, I want to talk a little bit about this messiness. I found that a lot of runners, uh, you know, their goals are often unmet because they just can't seem to control their attention. They bounce from training plan to training plan, from idea to idea, training strategy to training strategy, and, and there's never this consistency in approach. Uh, and like you mentioned, you know, they'll maybe do a certain training approach for a couple of weeks and they won't be getting the results they want. And that's when they'll switch and they'll go do something else. How can we better focus and direct our attention in the long term, but, but also maybe in the immediate term, you know, maybe like when we're running a race, you know, how do we focus on that very moment? So I guess this is uh, long-term focus and short-term focus. Cause I think this is something that, that all of us struggle with right now. 
Yes, yes. I, I heard long-term attentional control in there in, embedded in that question. I also heard a little bit about goal setting, which are, they if we have a Venn diagram, yes, there are, there are components to where these are two different conversations, but at the same time, there are some points where they overlap. Um, but as you were describing your experience as a coach, I think I was thinking back to all my experiences who, with the coaches who I work with and who I have the opportunity to learn from and be with. And we'll go into the coach's office and they're pulling their hair out. They're like, oh my goodness, this athlete changed his mechanics. We worked on it all the, all this off season and now we're back and now he's doing something completely different because he wasn't getting the results immediately. And so in, in sports, we have these uh, this phrase called a tinkerer, someone who's constantly tinkering with their mechanics and uh, they either see somebody else who's getting different results. And so, hey, let me do what he's doing. Let me do what she's doing. Oh, that's not working. Let me do this. That's not working. Let me do that. And so uh, I, uh, I have seen that uh, all the time. And it, you, you sh- it's, a, it's a shared frustration across all, I bet not just even sports. I bet it's in a lot of different domains where people, all of us, you just bounce from idea to idea, technique to idea, technique, even coach to coach. Oh, he or she's not giving it to me. Let me go to this coach. And so uh, I don't know if that's in your domain as well. But uh, to answer your question, long-term versus short-term, I think it comes down to self-awareness. Start with self-awareness. With the athletes or even the people who I have the chance to work with, when we talk about goal setting, first, first of all, goal setting is something that needs to be handled with care. What I mean by that is, you hear smart goals, long-term goals, short-term goals, process goals, internal goals. Ex- like there's so many things out there, and uh, the the goal purists will pick apart so many different people who are setting goals, saying you're doing it wrong. I know people who say goals are nothing, like throw them out. They're bad. It's 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 a it's a you're setting yourself up for failure. So that's a different conversation. But for me, when I sit down with a coach or an athlete. The first question I want to ask is, what's your take on goals? Have you ever set them? What you, do you like them? Do you not like them? What kind of goals do you like? Uh, do, do you like long-term goals, short-term goals? What, what is long-term to you? What is short-term to you? What, have you? what has helped you in the past? What kind of goals hurt you? And as they explore it, I want to set goals and I want to that are conducive to the personality of the person I'm currently working with. I don't believe that there's a one size fits all for anything personally. I think there are certain principles and guidelines, but, and I think for me, when it comes to goal setting and attention control, what's going to help you the most. So for example, there are some people, when you say long-term goals, there, there are some goals where you just, they get stale. It's so far out there that they can't even connect with it. Like if you ask somebody, what are your five-year plans? They'll look at you and say, five-year plans? I, I can only care about five years. I just care about the next year or I care about three months down the line or, or whatever. And that's what gets them going. Five-year goals and, and we're, myself, I do like the long-term plans, but some athletes, they don't even want to go there. Their sweet spot is six months away. Maybe it's three months away. Maybe it's one month away. And then helping them understand, okay, and then even today, what are you going to do today? So when athletes go into competition or when they go into a training session in terms of short-term goals, we identify, okay, what's your goal for today? What is it? What's your one thing that you want to accomplish today? What's your mission? What's your focus? I work with uh, a lot of elite CrossFit athletes. And it's very similar. Well, they have a long-term goal. I want to be the fittest man or woman on earth. Okay, great. Now, how about in the next three months? Okay, I want to do this by three months. Okay, how about today in training? What's your goal? Okay, I'm going to focus on the pull. I'm going to focus on squeezing my scapula together. That's going to be my main focus today. And uh, yeah, it comes down to giving your mind a crystal clear target. And once again, it looks different. For everybody, but uh, I'll get off that soapbox for now to have you interject if, if you have any further questions. But that's what I've seen with those I'm working with. Well, Justin, I feel like I have been liberated because I I don't like setting really really specific goals for myself, and and I'm trying to remember back to you know my college and post collegiate days when I was training and racing at my peak, and 
I certainly had time goals for certain races, but my goal, my driving motivator was just to get better. That's it. I, I, I didn't have any other big goals as, as long as I was doing the things necessary to gradually improve over time. I was a happy runner. And, you know, I see a lot of runners with goals that are just oddly specific or, you know, goals that, and this is very common where they take a long-term goal and they try to accomplish it in a short-term time period. Um, and so I, I, I like this approach to goal setting because it's more unique and personalized to the individual because, you know, runners are different than CrossFit athletes or different from hockey players. And, uh, I think even within a singular sport, there's so many different personality types and some runners like really specific goals and I'm just not that kind of person. So I, I feel like you've lifted some guilt off of me for never having a super specific goal. <laughs> I am so glad that you articulated that because you're right. I, I think a lot of people don't realize, or maybe they do realize it, but and they come from a good place where everyone needs to set smart goals. Everyone has to, where the reality is no, everyone is so different. Even as you know, with children, even all five of us who live in this home, we have such different personalities and we'll all set goals completely different uh, from each other. And uh, something that... Uh, so actually, I do have a question for you, Jason. When you said to get better, which I love and I hear quite a bit, how did you measure progress? Uh, typically, progress was always measured in personal bests. So whatever races I was running, didn't matter if it was a 5K, 8K, 10K, half marathon, 10 mile marathon, whatever. I just wanted to be shooting for a personal best in those distances. So I was always just trying to be uh, at my peak, you know, at that right time in the season. So for me, the progress was always measured in personal bests. Uh, and then I, I guess I did have, you know, more process oriented goals. Like I want to run 80 miles a week this week. I want to do a tempo run and hit these splits on the track, you know, so I had those workout and general training goals, but ultimately I was always guided by improvement in races. Mm, I, I love that. I love that. And I think those who are listening uh, could learn a lesson from you and just learn and just the question that they need to ask themselves or we all need to ask ourselves is what do these goals do to you? How are they affecting you? Do they create too much stress and anxiety? Or are you complacent? Does it fire? Do your goals fire you up? Uh, do they inspire you? Do they? And so you can take a temperature on your own goals. And there, there may be some goals where you're kind of going through the motion. You're like, you know what? I need to ratchet it up a little bit. Maybe I do adopt a different philosophy that I'm not used to before. And I love the trial and error, the, the notion that, hey, you could... You can trial and error it. You can have multiple iterations of maybe I do do a specific goal. Let me see what that, how that affects me today in training. Let's do a little bit more looser one, a little bit more broad and vague. How does that affect me? Maybe I'm just going to do a, a more of a, I'm just going to give my best today approach. Oh, that, that was an interesting approach. And then go back and see how it affects you. I think we are all under construction and also a certain approach to goal setting that worked in the past might not work now. And to be aware of that is, oh, maybe you used to, there might be someone listening, they used to do very specific, clear goals. And it's creating too much anxiety now, too much pressure. The expectations are too high. And what they need to do now is more broad, more vague, and maybe that will help them out and unlock them and make them feel a little bit more free. So to really take a, take a look at that, do, do you mind if I share just a, a, another little um, a model of goal setting? Oh, I'd love it, Justin. Go for it. Uh, the letters G W O P G W O P. So the G stands for the goal or the target or whatever you're trying to achieve, whether it be long-term or short-term, what is it for you? And it could be as simple as have fun or give your best to as distinct as, or as, as, as specific as a certain time for this training run today, whatever you want it to be up to you, your personality. The uh, the W in GWAP stands for why. Why are you setting this as your goal? Why is this going to be your purpose for this training session or this race or maybe whatever, however long term you want it to be? Why? Now, this is where the magic happens. The O. The O stands for obstacles. What are the obstacles that you are going to face as you achieve as you set this goal? 
what I think, uh, to, to adopt the phrase from the, the philosopher Mike Tyson, uh, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. I think a lot of people set goals and they have their why and they're excited. They go out there and once they get the little punch in the face, then they abandon all of the things that they really want. But one thing we know about research is that if you prepare to face obstacles, the more you prepare to face obstacles, the more likely you are to respond effectively when they present themselves. So you want to make a list of all, you want to do a pre-mortem. You want to ask yourself, how is how am I going to fail achieving this goal? And you want to identify all external and internal obstacles because a lot of people are their own roadblocks. They're their own worst enemy to achieve these goals. So it might be, my own insecurities, my lack of confidence, my training schedule, my work schedule, I have family, whatever obstacles, my injury I'm overcoming, whatever it is, all of possible obstacles that you may face internally and externally. That's the O. Now the P stands for your plan. How do you plan on overcoming or responding when you are faced with these obstacles? And it could be as simple as, uh, my obstacle is I doubt myself all the time. Maybe my plan is whenever those, neg- that those negative thoughts pop in, I will remind myself of my why, or I will remind myself, hey, just give your best. Boom, there it is. doesn't have to be anything deeper than that, but just so you have a plan for it so that when these thoughts or these obstacles come in, they won't trigger the amygdala. You won't get emotionally hijacked. It'll trigger a different part of your brain, which is the prefrontal cortex, that will help you be more calm, more collected. And the reason is because you expected it. You can smile at it and say, I, I, I prepared for this. I knew that this was a possibility. And all right, here's my plan. I'm going to execute my uh, contingency plan. And so that's a fun little broad uh, act model for goal setting, GWAP, that doesn't tie anyone into specifics. It's loose enough to, to where you can put your own personality into it but it's organized enough to where you can have some structure as you achieve these uh, these goals. Yeah, the focus on obstacles and asking yourself, how am I going to fail while accomplishing this goal, I think is, is such a productive way of, of thinking about a goal that you want to accomplish. Uh, and then, you know, of course, when it comes to running, uh, you know, the failures that we experience as runners, uh, I, I think are pretty low risk, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you know, we're everyone listening to this, you know, we're probably not elite runners. This isn't our livelihood. It's not our career. And the way that I always looked at running from that perspective is that, well, if I care, if I, if I fail, then who cares? You know, it's, it's, it's a learning process, but really I'm just doing something for fun. Running is something I do for enjoyment. It's a hobby. I do it for fun. And if I fail, then I can always just try again. When I think about real failure, I think about, you know, the one final exam that you have to pass to pass the the class and you fail it. There's no redo. That is a failure and you can't get that back unless by redoing the entire class. But with running, there's there's almost no pressure if you're not a professional runner. And, and I think that's incredibly freeing to people. Uh, at least it is to me. Oh, you are right. It, it is liberating to have that mindset. And one thing that Amy Edmondson does say about psych- going back to psychological failure or psychological safety, rather, she talks about this notion that not all failures are created equal. And what she means by that is the failure, it's not a failure to do your best and to come up short, to sign up for the race or to go out there and to have all the intentions and to, and to do the best you could and, and, and then come up short. That is Yes, that's a quote unquote failure for some people, but the reality is no, it's just a learning lesson. It's feedback. It's an opportunity to get better and you don't have to absorb it and it doesn't have to be a hit to your ego. It's just, okay, great. What can, what can I learn from that? The failures that are the most detrimental are, to anybody are the failures that you have 100%. Let me say it, the failure to sign up. And again, I, and, and please correct me if I'm getting out of my domain. I don't want to, I want to st- I don't want to act like I know what I'm talking about when I don't know what I'm, ta- I'll just say, I don't know what I'm talking about. But if I could say it, it's that person who decides not to sign up for the race because they don't think they're going to do well. It's that, it's that, it's that athlete who says, uh, you know what, take me out of the lineup. Cause I don't feel, I don't feel good. 
good today and not physically. I just don't feel like my best self today. It's that person who is that person who basically puts a stop to their dreams because they think, who am I? There's no way I can do it. Where And then you look back and you regret it. You say, wow, I was afraid of failure. So I didn't even try. And I think that is the most, for me personally, that's the most, the, the, the most difficult failure to deal with um, as opposed to what you were saying is, yeah, if I didn't do well, Hey, it's all right. Let's, I'm doing this for fun. I love it. Let's do it again tomorrow. I think that is such a healthy approach. What you described. Yeah. And to make decisions based on fear is never really an effective way of, of being a decision maker. Is it? Right. <laughs> that is, that is so true. Yeah, I think this whole embrace of failure is a critical part of of having a culture of excellence. It's it's part of the learning process. It's how you get better in the grand scheme of things. It's it's how you can learn more about yourself and how you respond to different stresses. Now, I, I do want to come back a little bit to that culture of excellence that we were talking about before, Justin. You know, and and we were talking about teams and the military and companies. How do we bring this back to running for athletes who are engaged in a sport like running that's very individual um, and especially as adults, you know, we're not even on a cross country or a track team. How would you recommend we take some of the concepts we talked about that are part of a culture of excellence to create more like a personal culture of excellence for ourselves? That's a really good question. Uh, I've actually never heard it. Um ask like that or, or, or that comparison, how do we create my own internal personal culture? And as I'm thinking back to, as I'm thinking to um, my experience with our culture creation in my respective organizations, going back to what we discussed at the beginning of, the, of this episode, it comes down to those questions. So I think if anyone's listening to this, I think it would be helpful to grab a journal, to open that blank journal up, and start answering some questions. Uh, some questions like, what are my values? Uh, what is my why? What do I want to accomplish? Why do I, yeah, why do I run? How do I want to be remembered? What is my process? Uh, how do I define success? How do I define failure? I think those things, uh, what is my philosophy? I'm just coming off the top of my head. These are all questions that I've sat in a room with multiple people and we've discussed this as an organization. But if you ask those questions to yourself where you are the CEO of your own life and your own personal culture, I think as you take time to write them down, to think about them, to meditate on them, that you'll be able to develop your own culture and you'll be able to articulate your own, I guess, personal manual for success and, and to vet it and it might change over time. And you're the ultimate judge on if it works or not. And, and I think you want to be authentic. You shouldn't create something or say words that, that you think are cool or you think would be others should hear. And you might not publish it or share it with anybody. But the more authentic, the more vulnerable, the more true and real you are, uh, the more you'll get closer to aligning with what matters most to you and coming from a place of authenticity, which will help you be the best version on yourself, whether you're running or you're not. Yeah. I was thinking while I was asking you that question that I don't think it really matters, right? You, you could be on a team and do these exercises, or you can be an individual sitting by yourself in a room and still do these exercises and get so much out of it. So, uh, I'm, I'm glad that it's, it's transferable to an individual sport like running. And, um, even for those runners who are not on a team, uh, Justin, I've, I've had a a blast chatting with you right now, and, uh, I'm getting so interested in, in sports psychology. And I really do think it's, it's almost this final frontier in performance and getting the most out of your training. But I also recognize that this is like the last thing that, us adult runners really look into when we want an edge, when we want to, you know, get a little bit more competitive, improve our performances. We always usually think about the training, you know, some fancy new gear that we can buy. How can we encourage runners to think more deeply about this avenue for improvement? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's, it's that question you just asked are questions that 
that even I asked when I was getting into the field and as, as I look with, with whether it be team athletes or, in, or, or corporate professionals or how do, you, how do you practice this? And a lot of times it comes down to what is sports psychology? How do you train the brain and how do you train the mind? And whenever I describe it to people, what I do, I always think, here for me, this is the best way to describe it. It's when you, for those who are parents or coaches or even an athlete, I will ask audiences, I'll say, okay, how many of you have, have ever said or have been told to relax? And all of us laugh and we put our hands up. Yes. And that's probably the worst thing to say to somebody. <laughs> They'll probably do the opposite if they're not relaxed. If they're a little bit too emotional, you don't want to tell someone to relax, but we've all said it. And uh, I'll always ask, how many of you have ever told someone or have been on the receiving end of the advice to be more positive or to believe in yourself? or to focus all of these instructions or these piece of advice or these axiom, not even the axiom, but this, these words are powerful. They're important. However, what a lot of, of us have never received is how to do those things. How do you believe in yourself? How do you relax under pressure? How do you focus when you're starting to get distracted? And so I think if you're starting your own sports psychology practice, by yourself, it comes down to understanding the mind. And I would say, and under, not just the mind, your mind. And I think a very simple place to start is with journal writing. I think as you capture your feelings, as you capture your goals, as you each day write down, answering three questions. What was the best part about today? What was something I learned today? What am I going to do better tomorrow? Those three questions are going to strengthen your ability to see the good because we have a negativity bias, uh, your ability to learn. What did I learn today? Uh, learn from firsthand or just observational things. And then how am I going to be better tomorrow? It gives you autonomy, puts you in the driver's seat of, of giving you a set, a goal. Some of you might want to adopt meditation and you want to do a headspace or you want to do um, uh, the 10% happier app or calm app and you want to practice meditation. Some of you can't stand meditation, which is fine as well. Some of you just want to, maybe you study self-talk and you study, you practice, you put uh, your, your, your words that you want to say, words of affirmation around your room, around your mirror, so you can program your mind on, on, to, on what to say and what, how to think and what to believe. Maybe you take your, the questions that you answered for your culture, your own personal culture, and you put it up on your wall so you can see it and remember it. So it comes down to listening to podcasts, uh, reading, watching videos, uh, just being aware of how you interact with adversity. And as you press the pause button and look back and say, oh, look how I, re look how I responded to that thing, to that situation. Look how I responded to that compliment that person gave me. Basically, it all comes down to pausing and the study and the learn from yourself and making the, the needed changes along the way. And I think that's the best way to start adopting it. There's that learning piece of the puzzle again. I'm glad that that came full circle again. I love that. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is that is the key. We are always under construction, always under construction. And, and I think you gave probably the best sell for sports psychology when you were just speaking there because, you know, you, you were laying out some of the big problems that not just runners have, but we all have, you know, how do I reach my goals? How do I not become emotionally hijacked when something goes wrong? How do I plan for failure? And the answer is sports psychology strategies and tactics and, and certain mindsets that, that you can learn. And for me, that is incredibly uh, exciting because I think that means we can improve some of the things in our lives that seem impossible to improve. And, and to me, that's one of the most exciting opportunities out there. I am so glad you said that because there are three things that we can, we can train. We can train our bodies. We can train our, our technique or our strategy or our, our skills, our tactics. And what people don't realize, like you said, the final frontier, we can train our minds. So you can train your mind to do things that you've never done before, to respond in ways you've never responded before, as opposed to the default setting. And it comes through practice. It comes through training. It comes through exercises and and as simple as this is, like Googling it, and it's out there. Uh, there are podcasts, there are videos, there are books. 
but it all comes down to executing. And, and what, what I love about sports psychology is they're simple. You get it, it, what you, the simple execution of a deep breath, the simple, the benefits of a simple one minute meditation before you train of bringing your eyes to a focal point as you're running to quiet your eyes so you can quiet your mind to notice your heartbeat or heart, your, your breath pace, just listening to the sound of your feet hitting the pavement. All of that brings you to the present. It cuts out distractions. So many applicable tools that you can apply right now uh, just just as you as you learn it immediately. That's what I love about it. You can apply it immediately. It won't take 45 minutes of learning or it doesn't take something that's, we're all busy. We're all busy, but you can execute it and apply it immediately. I love it. I love the the ability to apply things and how actionable they are is one of the reasons why sports psychology is, is so um, attractive to me, I think. All right, Justin, this has been incredible. I, I feel like I was flexing my growth mindset muscles during the call and I learned a lot and, and I feel like we were practicing what we were preaching during this conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, and if folks want to learn more about what you do, your work, uh, I know that you've written uh, at least two books, if, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, where can we learn more about you? Yeah, so the best place is probably uh, on Instagram, at Justin Sua. Uh, you can find my books there and uh, my podcast, Increase Your Impact. If if you're interested in sports psychology training, I do a podcast every weekday, and it's only three to five minutes long where I give like, an exercise or a principle or a strategy for the day. Um, and so, yeah, you can join me there as well. Love it. Thank you so much, Justin. Thank you so much, Jason. Okay, runners, that is my conversation with mental skills coach, Justin Sua. Normally, he's charging big companies top dollar for this advice, so I hope you took some notes today on all of the guidance, coaching, and strategies that we discussed today. If you'd like to say hi to Justin or follow his work, you can subscribe to the Increase Your Impact podcast in Apple Music or find Justin on Twitter and Instagram at Justin Sua. That's Justin S-U-A. Finally, a big thanks to Naked Nutrition for helping make this episode possible. You can see them at nkdnutrition.com, and they make high-quality supplements for athletes. And out of the nearly countless supplements that runners could take, protein is actually helpful and beneficial. After any big training session, especially a long run, workout, or race, it's really critical to aid the recovery process with protein. Muscles get damaged when you run hard, and protein is what repairs them. Naked Nutrition has a vanilla grass-fed whey protein powder that I'm loving. It only has three ingredients, but if you want an unflavored version, you'll only have a single ingredient, whey protein. I love that simplicity and the fact that they're third-party tested for contaminants. They don't have any additives, and the whey comes from grass-fed cows. Plus, if you're vegan, they have a pea protein option. You can check out all of their made-in-the-USA products at nkdnutrition.com. All right, friends, that's it for me today. I'd like to thank you for listening. To everyone who has left a review for the pod and Apple Music, you're the best. And also to our essential workers right now, stay safe, stay healthy, and run strong.